The best and brightest physicians choose to work at Boston Medical Center. And now it's time to hear what they're saying. This is Boston Med Talks. Here's Melanie Cole. Kidney stones affect about 1 in 500 Americans each year. For many, they will pass on their own. However, for some that don't, a unique treatment is available. My guest today is Dr. Sean Wason. He's a urologist at Boston Medical Center. Dr. Wason, explain for the listeners, what are kidney stones? Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. So kidney stones form when your urine contains more crystal-forming substances such as calcium and uric acid than the fluid in your urine can dilute. Um, They typically uh, form in the kidney, and most kidney stones will pass spontaneously without any surgical intervention. Are there certain times of the year when they're more common? Well, the general thinking is that uh, kidney stones form in the summer when folks are dehydrated, Um, but we're currently investigating the role of uh, temperature on the formation of kidney stones, and that may not be the entire situation. So we see patients that present with kidney stones throughout the entire year. Who's at risk for kidney stones, and what are the symptoms that someone would notice? Patients that are uh, chronically dehydrated, uh, patients that um, may not have free access to water, uh, certain professions that are around heat, such as cooks, um, other patients that have uh, chronic dehydration, such as those with what we call an ileal conduit uh, or typically lose fluid uh, are more prone to kidney stones. Also, patients that are obese and diabetic have also been shown to uh, produce quite a bit of kidney stone. So are there something people would notice? I mean, is there pain? Is there something that would notice that they would send them to a urologist? Absolutely. Uh, So pain is the number one presenting symptom of uh, patients that have kidney stone. Usually the pain starts in the uh, abdomen and radiates to the flank. As a kidney stone passes, the pain can progress down towards the groin. So some patients um, not only will have pain, but they'll have some nausea and vomiting. And then this is usually cyclical. Uh, Patients may also report some blood in the urine. Uh, If there is a superimposed infection with a kidney stone, uh, these patients may have subjective fever and chills and shakes. So what is the first line of defense? As I said in my intro, and then you said again, some pass on their own spontaneously. For the ones that don't, And how long do you wait to find out if they're not going to, if it's causing pain? So explain a little bit about what happens once one is diagnosed. So usually these patients present uh, quickly to the emergency room. They're evaluated with what we call a CT scan or CAT scan of the abdomen pelvis. And this will uh, outline the location of the stone and the size of the stone. Stones that are small will tend to pass spontaneously, especially in their, if they're in the distal part of the ureter. Uh, larger stones that are up towards the kidney uh, may not pass spontaneously. If there's no sign of infection, then we usually uh, give the patient a trial of oral, uh, oral therapy, such as a, what we call an alpha blocker, uh, which we think helps to relax the ureter. Uh, we tell them to remain uh, hydrated, and then we just give them time. For patients that cannot tolerate uh, oral oral therapy or water um, and they're just too nauseous or they have uh, persistent pain, then those are the patients that we will consider for treatment. There are several different treatment options out there. So speak about some of them. Okay. So um, 
in the acute situation, if there is an infection, then we want to drain the kidney and drain as much bacteria as possible. So we'll put in a ureteral stent, which is a small little rubber tube to drain the kidney. Uh, this can also be placed directly into the kidney through the back. If a patient doesn't have any uh, signs or symptoms of infection, we can offer them what we call ureteroscopy or shockwave lithotripsy. Ureteroscopy uh, involves taking a small little uh, camera and a telescope and putting it through the bladder into the ureter up to the level of the stone. Once we see the stone under direct vision, then the stone can be uh, fragmented into a lot of little pieces, which can then be extracted at the time of surgery. This is invasive, and it does require placement of a ureteral stent at the conclusion of the procedure. In other situations where a stone may be located in the kidney or the proximal ureter, uh, we can offer them uh, what we call shockwave lithotripsy, or ESWL for short. And what this involves is uh, targeting the stone using either fluoroscopy or ultrasound and sending shockwaves through the body, so through the skin the tissues and the fluid surrounding the stone, which then break up the stone into smaller little pieces that can then be passed spontaneously. Wow. So how cool is that? So tell us a little bit about the advantages and possible disadvantages of using that shockwave lithotripsy. And can it only be used if there's one stone? What if there's more than one? Great question. So shockwave lithotripsy has been around since 1980 when the first shockwave lithotripter came on the market. Interestingly, this was uh, used to test uh, aircraft equipment um, that, are, that was undergoing supersonic flight. And then it quickly became the standard of care uh, for the treatment of kidney and ureteral stones uh, for the subsequent uh, 10 years. Um, we use shockwave lithotripsy mainly for a solitary stone although um, it can be used if there's maybe another kidney stone and you have successful uh, fragmentation of the first stone. So we typically re reserve this for a solitary stone, uh, stones that are in the kidney or in the proximal ureter or in the distal ureter tend to be targeted uh, fairly easily. It's an outpatient procedure uh, which typically takes about 45 minutes to an hour, which is truly non-invasive in that there are no surgical cuts or no instruments going inside the body. Uh, the patient is under sedation, and then we have um, a technician that's with us that helps us target the stone, and then we send shockwaves, approximately 2,500 shockwaves through the body to uh, fragment the stone. Once the stone uh, is completely fragmented, then the procedure is stopped. What happens to the little fragments? So the patient uh, passes those spontaneously. We encourage them to, to remain really hydrated after the procedure. And uh, the fragments are usually about one millimeter or less in diameter. And, they, and most patients uh, don't even uh, feel the stones passing. We do send them home with a strainer to strain their urine to collect the stones which uh, we ask them to bring in for analysis after, um, after the procedure is complete. Most of the stones pass within about two weeks after the, the initial uh, procedure, and uh, we have them follow up in the office for an ultrasound and an x-ray at that two-week mark to ensure that uh, we've had excellent fragmentation of the stone. If someone has had one, are they then at risk for another? Absolutely, unfortunately. 
Uh, most patients that have had one stone in their life have about a 50% chance of, of having a current stone in their lifetime. Wow. So is there a way, doctor, that they can be prevented? They can. Uh, the, the number one recommendation that we give to all our patients is to uh, increase uh, the water intake. Uh, we like to have their urine output about two or two and a half liters a day. So the urine has to be very clear. The amount of um, fluid that the patient drinks can uh, be a mixture of a variety of fluids uh, uh, just to keep their urine uh, dilute. We also offer metabolic testing where we analyze a patient's urine for a 24-hour period and we look for things like the urine pH, the urine citrate, the calcium, the oxalate levels, and then we can uh, tailor our dietary recommendations uh, to these patients. It's very important that the patients have a actually normal calcium diet. We don't want them to restrict their dietary calcium. We also want them to limit their dietary oxalate. Uh, and then um, we also want them to have a good amount of fruits and vegetables, which have a high citrate load, which have been shown to prevent kidney stones. Dr. Wason, please wrap it up for us with your best advice about kidney stones, possibly preventing them in the first place, and what you want listeners to know about shockwave lithotripsy. Sometimes kidney stones cannot be entirely prevented. Once a patient has had uh, a kidney stone attack, uh, there are a variety of treatment options uh, for kidney stones. First-line therapy, according to the American Urologic Association guidelines, is shockwave lithotripsy, which is a truly non-invasive way of treating stones along the entire urinary tract. Safe, it's effective, it's an outpatient procedure, and does not require any general anesthetic. But I think the number one rule for patients that have had kidney stones is to uh, keep their urine as dilute as possible and make sure that patients eat a uh, well-balanced diet that's high in fruits and vegetables. It's great information. What a fascinating procedure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Wason. This is Boston Med Talks with Boston Medical Center. For more information, you can go to bmc.org. That's bmc.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.